Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Clashing Sabers Network. Here we go again. Past the compressor. You were the chosen one! Something truly special. Congratulations, you are being rescued. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. The ability to speak might not make you intelligent, but we're going to try to prove otherwise. This is the Clashing Sabers podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brandon, and I am here with an icon, a man whose tweets are so on point that they make Crosshair jealous. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the amazing Mark Marquis. Why, thank you. That That's very nice of you to say, but I don't want to make Crosshair jealous because that dude's bad news. He, Yeah, he is, <laughs> but you know, he's only got one eye now and... Uh, <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, we'll discuss that. Yeah, we'll discuss save that it, later. save it. So, <laughs> I'm excited today because we are we are talking about uh, Bad Batch. We're going to talk about the uh, episodes five through nine. Uh, so, if you haven't listened, guys, Drew and I went through the first four episodes of the show, um, and that episode of ours is entitled Bad Batch Beginning. So, make sure you check that out to look at our. Um, look at the first four episodes and kind of some of the things that we noticed and the things that we were looking uh, forward to in these episodes. Uh, and we're going to dig into uh, these these next five episodes that we haven't covered yet, which is going to be really exciting because there is a lot uh, going on here. And I know spoilers, I was... Spoilers, obviously, right? Totally yeah, oh spoilers. yeah, spoilers, obviously, <laughs> full on. Um, but like... I have pages and pages of notes that I had to like condense down of like, what are we actually going to have time to talk about? Cause I could probably do <laughs> six or seven hours on this. Um, so, and also guys, if you're interested, I have uh, breakdowns of each episode on clashingsabers.net, So you can go check that out. But before we dive into that, Mark, I want to ask you, cause we haven't had a chance to catch up lately. What have you been star Warsing? Uh, well, um, Lately, uh, I think I mentioned this back in February, but I have, uh, my partner and I have been in the process of getting our house ready to put on the market, and we've spent like the the better part of the last year renovating and moving things out and trying to just condense our stuff down into um, something that would be movable at some point, Um, and that has really kind of consumed my life, and so it's kind of affected my ability to Star Wars a lot. but I, I, I did get some good news last night. Uh, we got an offer on the house, and we if all goes smoothly, it uh, looks like we might be uh, ready to move to Florida in August, August 20. So that's, that's the date right now for the move. Um, I'm just telling you, that's a terrible time to move to Florida. It's going to be so humid. Oh, I know. It's going oh to be miserably hot. But, oh, my God. But I told Steve, I said, the good thing about that is that we're going down at the absolute worst time to be down there temperature wise. So it's like we it like we'll have to get acclimated to it very quickly. And then from there then on out, it just gets better yeah, <laughs> temperature see, wise. Uh, I don't know about that. I, I, I don't think that's how it works. Um, I well, lived there for 16 years or, and it, what, it still sucked. What part of it? What part did you live? I was in? up towards North Florida in Tallahassee, which is a little. Oh, okay. Is, few hours from where you guys are going to be at uh, it's more like the south georgia area it's funny because like when i say that i'm you know from florida people are like oh cool and i'm like nah not that one well we're in the we're going to be in this uh tampa st pete area and we and steve has spent a lot of time looking at the um i don't know what did you call them not almanacs but it's like the weather 
Oh yeah, yeah. The, the, like the, to, to sort of gauge like what the temperatures tend to be, and he's always comparing our temperature to what their temperature. So like for the last six months, he's been comparing like just randomly he'll go, "Oh, it's seventy four in St. Petersburg," <laughs> just, <laughs> and, and I know that he's comparing temperatures. So um, that's funny because yeah. like when I moved here. And it got to wintertime. Like, of course, this was a weird winter for Texas because we shut down because of snow. But just the idea that, like, I had to walk out and have enough time for my car to thaw out before I could actually drive. (laughs) Well, I have had an opportunity to um, pick up uh, a book that's been on my list for a very, very long time. I'm, I'm way behind, obviously, on it, but it's a new dawn. Because being oh, a big, so much. yeah, being a big fan of Rebels, um, I think back in February I, I made the promise to myself on air that I was going to pick up uh, a New Dawn at some point and read it because of the Rebel connection. And um, so I, uh, I got through two audiobooks uh, from the High Republic, and then I decided um, there's really no time better than now to just go ahead and dive into a New Dawn. So anyway, I'm about halfway into it. And I'm enjoying it, um, but I have I do have it is curious to me because it kind of relates to the Bad Batch a bit, and maybe I was misunderstanding the the controversy. There was seems like I saw some chatter where people were upset that the Bad Batch had retconned Kanan's backstory that when he was, was the uh, Kanan comic. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Because yes. I'm reading the book, like I'm going through the book, and it mentions what happened, you know, with with Caleb. And um, and his and his master and I thought well that's kind of similar to what happened in the in the Bad Batch so I'm not sure why people were upset but it's the comic I, I yeah see. it's the comic and in the comic there I think they might be on a different planet um, and there are different clone troopers there and of course like the Bad Batch doesn't show up and everything and yeah like, for me and I think I've said this before but for me you know. I look at Star Wars, you know, it starts at, with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's a fairy tale, right? And how many different versions of Cinderella and Snow White and, you know, all of these other fairy tales that we have are out there. But, like, the same, the beats stay the same, you know? Right, you hit right. the high points, but depending on someone's perspective and someone's certain point of view, um, things can be a little bit different. So I always kind of look at it. Not so much as we're looking at Star Wars as a historical document, but more that we're looking at Star Wars as this story that's been passed down generation to generation. The same way, you know, classic, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey and, uh, you know, even like the books of the Torah and the Bible were like not written down for generations. They were only orally said, and so things would change. And now look how many different, you know, just... Look how many different versions of the Bible there are, and people aren't freaking out because they say different. Well, some people are, but most people are not freaking <laughs> out because they say different things, right? It's like, okay, this is the the point of the story. These are the high points. You know, you're not gonna have you know Jesus start you know breaking crackers and popping open energy drinks, but like the same things are gonna be uh, be happening in there. And so I just kind of I kind of stay out of all of that when everybody's freaking out over, oh my God, because uh, it happened with. Um, Oh, I think Catalyst. There was something mm. with Jin's mom, uh, with Lyra, where mm. she was on the wrong planet at the wrong time. And I was okay. like, are we really losing sleep over this, guys? Really? <laughs> well, back to A New Dawn, I do have another question. So I'm halfway through. I have reached the point in which Kanan and Hera have met. And they're Spoilers! Inter- 
Well, yeah, uh, they're interacting. Um, however, it, I'm almost halfway through, and I have to say the first half of the novel is really heavy on secondary characters and not, not much about Harain. And tell me that the rest of the novel gets real heavy into Canaan and Hera. Um, it's been a couple years since I read it. I, they definitely, Canaan at least definitely gets a, a lot more focus. Um, Hera does kind of stay more or less a little bit of a mystery, um, but I okay. think I think it's intended to be that way as a uh, a metaphor almost for the rebellion at the time. Like she can't let mm. people know. Just kind of like you remember in the episode where um, Sabine was wanting to know everything about Fulcrum and everything like that, and Hera's like, "No, I'm trying to protect you." by not telling you all of these things, because if you do yeah. all of these things, to me, it's kind of like a situation like that. But um, okay, check back after after you finish it, because I, I, that's been one I've been wanting to, to revisit. I may have just bought like 15 new books last weekend, but you know what? <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get back to it eventually. So it's a, it was definitely a great start to the new canon. Yeah, and, and being that it was like the very first one, it's funny that I'm just now getting around to yeah. it, but, <laughs> but know, better late than never. Right, exactly. What, six years later? Seven yeah, years just later, six something, years. Something like that. So, so what, that'll be 2025 20, you'll see uh, Rise of Skywalker? Probably. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> um, hopefully we'll still be around doing this till then. But uh, yeah, guys, so we have a lot to talk about on these uh, episodes of The Bad Batch, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will get into them all. I will deliver the payment and retrieve Omega. Your personal interest in the young clone has threatened our operation enough. Tanwei, you will go to our abandoned facility on Borvio. Bring the bounty hunter his payment and recover our property. Yes, Prime Minister. When the clone is returned, confine her to the sublevel facility. Once you have retrieved the genetic material needed, terminate her. These episodes, I don't so much want to focus on going through episode by episode. There are a lot of shows that are doing, uh, you know, great weekly episodes um, or, you know, two at a time or whatever it may be. Um, Definitely go check over uh, at the Unknown Regions podcast. Our friends over there are doing a fantastic job of that. So um, instead of doing that, I want to look at these five episodes and kind of discuss some of these bigger ideas and themes and motifs um, that have stood out. And and there's a few um, that have stood out to me, uh, and, and I think particularly because I'm looking for these things as I'm you know writing articles. So like... Spoilers for Mandalorian season two if you haven't watched it, but um, you, like when the eggs uh, started coming up a lot, you know, like I was okay on the next episode. What is there to do with eggs? What is there to do with birth and life and stuff like that? So <laughs> I I was looking for those things. So you know, again, it, you kind of you go in looking for those things. A lot of times you're going to find them. So for you, Mark, what are some ideas or themes that really stood out um, so far in the series and particularly in these five episodes? I think overall the the theme that jumps out to me about the overall series so far and it's what I would have expected them to explore was the idea of individuality, identity, um, what is one's purpose when one realizes that they're what they thought that they were 
meant to do was and somehow flawed or um, uh, immoral or you know had had been nefarious um, they'd somehow been used and and yet all of their identity was tied up in this previous thing that they had been created for um, so that's that's what really stands out to me and it was interesting all through the Clone Wars series how it was it was obvious that the there was emphasis being placed on how frequently the clones wanted to express their own individuality. You know, the thing about the clones is that even though they all share the same DNA and they look into each other's faces and they see themselves, they don't really think of they're not like the Borg. They're not one collective. You know, they are a series of individuals, um, and yet that stands in contrast to what their purpose was. And when I say purpose, I mean what Palpatine's purpose was. You know, Palpatine obviously didn't see them as individuals and didn't care. Um, so that kind of tension in the series was always interesting to me, and especially given that the way that these, the show was released, it comes after we've seen Revenge of the Sith, so we know what went down in Order 66. And that adds its own kind of tension uh, as you're watching, you know, you're watching the events of the Clone Wars play out because you know where it's all headed. It's just, it becomes very interesting to see how the characters will grapple with what we already know is coming. And they've already done a really good job in, in a lot of the different uh, vehicles in which Order 66 has been featured lately, I think have done a really good job of making that even more creepy and scary and unsettling than it was in Revenge of the Sith. I don't know if you feel that way, but I, I certainly, like every time Order 66 appears in either Fallen Order, the game, or in, uh, you know, Season 7 of the Clone Wars, or even here, and, you know, it, it just, it always has that same kind of foreboding sense of dread it's kind of like, it's a little bit like watching a zombie movie where you know that the zombies are coming. And you know how in the beginning of every zombie movie, you know, so everything's normal. And then like, there's like, you hear a report on the news or something that something somewhere is not right. It's kind of like that's how Order 66 happens in these, in these shows, how it just, it kind of just arrives and you know it's coming and you just kind of brace yourself for it. And given the... The, that the, the Bad Batch were this group of clones who were, you know, in clones in general were already trying to establish their individuality, then you have this batch of variants who are even more individualistic. And, you know, their individuality sort of bumps into each other. They work well together because of it, and sometimes they work against each other with it. So that kind of tension is what really jumps out at me as being prominent, I think, throughout the series so far. Yeah, I mean, as far as Order 66 goes, like, I, I've kind of started to look at it almost like a September 11th type situation where literally everyone was affected by that day, but not everybody was affected in the same way. You know, yeah. like, everybody, like, has different points of view on it. It's one of those, you know, like, um, the day Elvis died, the day John Lennon died, like, those days that people remember where they were. Like, I think... Empire Day or Order 66 is the day, that day for the galaxy um, mm -hmm. as a whole. And so, you know, the experience of somebody who had someone in the towers 
who lost someone in the towers is going to be rap, you know, radically different. Yep. My Siri decided to. <laughs> she has an opinion. She has an opinion. Yes. Um, so we, you know, somebody who lost someone in the towers versus somebody who had someone who uh, made it out. Those two experiences around the same event are going to be so radically different and, and affect their lives in such different ways from like me being someone who just saw it on TV and had trouble conceptualizing as an 11 year old that that was actually a real thing that was happening. Like I I thought it was a computer simulation at first. Um, And so I definitely think that that's in there. And, And for me, like the episode that stood out for that is the, the decommissioned episode, which is my, I don't know if it's my favorite because Reunion uh, was so good, but it's definitely up there as one of my favorites because you have the dichotomy, like you were pointing out, about um, you know droids and and clones and kind of to me like this allies versus enemies thing. Like who are the allies? Who are the enemies? The droids are supposed to be against you know the clones but now they're helping the clones but also the clones are kind of droid like because they can be controlled by a, a a chip you know and there's an interesting line that trace has uh she says you know not if we're controlling the droids controlling them and i'm like okay but who's controlling you who's controlling the, like you know what i mean like it's it's like who is above you there's always somebody above you controlling you um and until you actually figure that out and choose what you're going to do about that like you literally are a droid you are just coming off a line and doing what what everybody expects you to do and i mean for for people especially of my generation who you know have gone to college and not been able to get a good job because you need five to ten years of experience but you can't get a job without five to ten years of experience we live in this this age where it's like okay i did everything that i was supposed to do why am i here now you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. like I have times like that. Like I did, I, I did everything right. Like I did what I was supposed to do. I hit all those points. Why are things not working now? You know? And it's like, okay, well, who was controlling you? And like, okay, these notions of what you're supposed to be, you know, you, you pointed that out of, of these clones who were created for one purpose, you know, it, it, they become droids and a lot of people become droids in that same fashion by just doing what they're expected to do instead of going, hey, why am I, I doing this, right? And that's something that I, I have loved seeing Echo and Hunter go back and forth on is like, okay, are we soldiers? Are we not soldiers? Are like, what are we doing here? And, and where does it lead? I, I like that Echo is somebody who comes essentially, you know, from the factory line of of clones and the Bad Batches is more unique and you have that tension between them. Not that they're going at each other, but that they're challenging each other's ideology of who they are and their identity and their purpose. And to me, that's really really something that has stood out to me and I'm really enjoying seeing them them explore that. Yeah, well they 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 do kind of go out after each other because Crosshair becomes this you know, he, he sort of becomes representative of, he's interesting to me because on the one hand, you'd say, well, he's, he was affected by his inhibitor chip, but then they did that, they perform that procedure on him to just make it, make the chip function as it's supposed to. But before that, 
he was even like you you weren't quite sure what side he was on and he, and you weren't sure if it was because his inhibitor chip maybe was functioning a little bit more normally than the others or if maybe crosshair is just his worldview is maybe so different from theirs that he's much more prone to being to falling in line with the empire and i to me that makes crosshair scarier because Oh, you know, Mega frequently says it's not your fault, you can't help it, but I, you know, and that's, I wonder if, if she's right, or if maybe there's just something about Crosshair that, you know, he's the one member of the team that was not in sync with everybody else. There was something about Crosshair that made him different. Well, and, and I think it's interesting, because Drew and I had talked multiple times about how these characters are very stereotypical archetype characters. You know, you have Wrecker's the big bruiser, and Hunter's the leader, and you have the tech guy, and you have the outcast, and, and you know, you have Wrecker, who's the sharpshooter, like you have, or excuse me, Crosshair, who's the sharpshooter. But then that kind of gets blown up when Crosshair, you know, makes the choice to stick with the Empire. And I think, really... Crosshair is the one, you know, when you're looking at, you know, which ones are different. I, I would I wouldn't say Crosshair is the one that's different because Crosshair stayed who he was. He's, you know, stayed a person loyal to the Republic that has now become the Empire. Loyal uh, to the mission. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. and so he has his role, he knows his role, he's going to fulfill his role. Whether that's morally right or not is the question there, and how much control he has over that choice to me is more of the question of you know what makes him different. Is I'm more interested in the idea of like what, how much of it was his choice because I think that becomes a a matter of how much of you know the choices that we make on the daily are are our choices, right? And have you seen um, Falcon and Winter Soldier? Have you watched that yet? I have watched the whole series i didn't necessarily enjoy it all that much so i didn't really like no that's a a lot of it (laughs) that's fair i just um wanted to make an allusion to that because there's you know you have the scene spoilers for falcon and winter soldier you have the scene where uh bucky is talking about you know steve gave you the shield and if he was wrong about you then he was wrong about me yeah, yeah, that was one that just really, really stood out to me um, in that series, and I kind of feel like the whole crosshair bad batch dynamic is similar to that. In are we wrong about crosshair, and if we're wrong about crosshair, does that mean we're wrong about ourselves? Or if we're wrong about, you know, if if crosshair is the one that's right, what does that say about us? To me, that's really something fascinating, and, and I think having Trace and Rafa come back and be the ones who kind of more or less confront the Bad Batch on that is something that's really important because of their arc in Season 7 of Clone Wars and how they were affected by Ahsoka. You know, like, there's, you know, the line from Rafa, in the end, we all choose sides. That's just like, yeah, at the end of the day, like, there is no neutrality. Like, look at what happened on Mandalore. Like, you can't... There's things that you cannot be neutral well dj would beg to differ (laughs) but even dj at the end of the day dj dj sided with the first order well but he sided in the first order in that particular instance i think the whole part the whole meaning behind dj is that he will side with whatever side suits his interests at any given time so that's not necessarily 
picking a side. He's picking his own side, so to speak. Yes, but he has also picked the side of we are, I'm going to profit off of this war like the people on Canto Bight instead of I'm going to do what, what the you know right thing is or even try to explore the right thing. Like I, I don't think at the end of the day you can just end up neutral. I don't know. I, it's like, it, to, to me it's like going to you know a, a sports game or whatever, you know, and or even watching one on TV. You can watch it and be like, hey, I don't really care who wins. I just want to see a good game. But eventually, you start to go like, mm, I kind of want this team to win. You know, like, you're never just like, mm, I'm just watching it for no reason. You kind of start rooting either for a comeback or, you know, for a team that plays in the style that you like more or whatever it may be. Like, I don't know. Well, that's, that's a good point because it occurs to me that, it's, that the point you're making is not unlike what Obi-Wan and, and Qui-Gon uh, tell the Gungans about their neutrality like they can't be neutral that they and and Naboo form a, a, a symbiotic circle like right. one thing affects the other so even if you think you're being neutral by staying away from it or staying out of the conflict that's happening on Naboo you're not because you're actually going to be affected and are already are affected you just don't realize it yet a hundred percent a hundred percent and yeah. And this whole idea of, you know, who are allies and who are enemies, I think, kind of centers around that because you have Trace and Rafa who start off as, like, air quotes, enemies, you know, that's how they're perceived, and then they become their allies. You had Crosshair started as an ally, now he's an enemy, the droid things, and there's a moment right in, in Decommissioned right before the you know, team splits up to do their particular things where Wrecker is, is standing there and Hunter tells him to cover us up top. And Wrecker says, be on the lookout was Crosshair's job. It's played as a funny, um, you know, a funny moment. But to me, that was really a, we don't know who we are anymore. Yeah, they're all navigating this weird, murky, morally nebulous world that comes post-war. Like, yeah. in the war, they knew exactly what all their roles were, and it was so rigid and regimented. Um, they were soldiers. Soldiers are a very regimented mindset. They know what their purpose is. They're given their orders. They, they do it. They carry it out. There's a chain of command. Everything is black and white. It tends to be very black and white, and suddenly that no longer exists and yet and not only does it not exist but their clone brothers are all on a completely different path that they can't follow because of the chip in their head or mm -hmm. the you know the, the 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 different path they're taking because of the the difference in their chips and so they're trying to figure out well where do i fit in this world now like what or what even is this world right i don't it's not even so much that they they can't figure out where what their role is they're they're trying to even figure out how the rules work in the world exactly like and, and like not just how they work but what it, what even are they like do they even exist anymore and there's the interaction when um tech and rafa i think it's tech uh and rafa like first run into each other and tech's like who are you and she says who am i who are you and i'm just like <laughs> that is so like Again, it's a comedic moment, but a lot of those comedic moments can be played, especially in a, a show that is, you know, for kids, which we, you know, people say because it's animated, it's for kids. And, and I think, you know, there's truth in that, obviously, like that's the demographic that they're going for. But 
you're not going to get like the Luke and Obi-Wan sitting on the log is not going to be what captures a, a six or seven year old's attention, right? They're going to get that funny moment. That funny moment's going to stick with them and it's going to simmer and it's going to simmer and it's going to simmer even without them realizing it. And I see it all the time. And it's going to be something that comes back and they're like, oh, like not, not on the level that we are, but like they're going to understand these, this person is questioning who they are and who the other people are around them. And to me, that was just a really, really good moment. Well, I, you were, you know, you had sent me the show notes that you had written down <clears throat> and I was looking over them and you had mentioned uh, this great moment that stood out in the show, which was this great joke that made me laugh, which was the echo joke where she says, is there an echo in here? And he you know, says, yes. And of course I laughed out loud. It's such a silly joke, but it worked. And then, but you pointed out that like, it's kind of sad because he's, He's very, he's, I mean, it's a joke, but he's also very genuinely responding to, yes, I, I'm here. How can I help? Like, like he, he's trying to fit in. He's trying to find his purpose in this situation. Well, and it's funny too, because like, he is not just echo and it's not just the butt of a joke, but he is an echo of the war, you know, like being a, a reg for, you know, lack of a better term, because, you know, of course he's modified now, but not being an original bad batcher and, and having gone through the war as a reg, like he is a, an echo of this war in a building that is a literal echo of the war. You know, I, I, I love, I think, I think obviously like you, you needed it for the effect of destroying the droids and everything like that. But that lava pit I thought was I am I am obsessed with that lava pit in there because to me it's like it's just it's the destruction of the past it's it's the clones being machines that are just being tossed into hell for you know for the, in favor of the stormtroopers. Let's know? talk about that for a minute because I'm it. glad you I'm glad you brought that up. So I find it interesting that that uh, facility and that. Um, I don't know the word is function or what they're what they're trying to carry out there happens on Corellia. Yeah. Where Corellia is one of the locations for the, the building of the Imperial fleet. And so you have ships being built for the Empire there while you're simultaneously destroying the remnants of the Confederacy of Independent Systems. You know, so you've got the side that the republic fought against is also at the same place that the that the new empire is rising from so you get this sort of recycling mm. death and birth thing happening yes. where one is feeding the other yes oh, i love that and also just side note shout out to the animators because they freaking killed it uh you know making it look like it does in solo like you could the the flyover oh, yeah. shot coming into corelli you could take that and put that in solo and nobody would know the difference right. fantastic job right. but you know you were talking about you know birth and death and that was another duality that that kind of stood out to me um is this i i'm always looking for birth and death symbolism it's one of my favorite things like baptism birth and death like any symbolism around that i'm i just i love and so um there's there's so much of it especially when they get to Braca. you know you have the the starship graveyard um that was really cool you have uh oh, even before that when when rex says being dead in the empire's eyes has its advantages it's just really fascinating how they are consistently showing the bad batch 
being reborn and renewed and going through these birth symbolisms. Um, oh, uh, an aside on Bracca. So you you didn't play uh, Jedi Fallen Order, correct? I did not, but I have watched the the playthrough. Well, Cal Kestis, it starts on Bracca. Right. Cal Kestis is a, a scrapper. Is that what they're called? What are the the yeah some, yeah something like that? But um. And it's interesting to me that that uh, again, there's an, there's more symbolism there. He is somebody that came from the fallen Jedi Order. He's in hiding, and he is trying to stay incognito in a job where he's essentially helping to dismantle the remnants of the Republic. Mm-hmm. And he, as a former Jedi or a, fall, or a fallen Jedi, <clears throat> is a remnant of the former Republic. Yeah. So so there's this nice kind of I don't know if it was intentional, but there, but that was a little aside that sort of reminded me. So, what the point you're making about Bracket being this place of like death and rebirth? No, a hundred percent. I think I think you're definitely spot on there because to kind of you know go with that and go with the idea you were presenting earlier about like the empire rising out of um, or rising at the same place that you know the Confederacy is being destroyed. There's that moment when uh, they. Uh, they slide into the engine, you know, and it looks like they're going down a little slide. I mean, that's, they're going through a hole and, you know, to a new place. It's birth (laughs) symbolism. Like, there's, sorry guys, there's no, like, way to say that that's not going to be awkward. But, like, to me, that engine represents the empire, right? And so they are, are metaphorically being born in this new empire. And what do they have to do? They have to break away from that engine in order to survive, whereas Crosshair is exposed to the engine of the Empire and has these scars now to prove it. To me, that was very, very poignant. Yeah, that's that's a good point about Crosshair and his and his scars. Um, but even before the engine, you know, they go through the process of removing the chip from their head, and you could sort of see that as kind of a rebirth or being oh, for a, sure like born again. Like it's like they're 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 leaving their past life and entering a new one by having like symbolically having this remnant that controlled their fate removed from their head. Yeah. And 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 I think, you know, they did a really good job of focusing on Wrecker there. Like I like that there was just this one character that you're like, "Oh my god, what's going to happen?" And to me, he's the most dangerous character because that character losing control ends poorly for people that was very effectively done i really 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 like how they peppered that throughout the entire series and i don't think that they were being coy about it either i think they wanted you to know that that was probably what was coming and they did a great job of just kind of i I paid close attention to how they did it because in like the first episode where they where it happens where he hits his head like he mentions it several times throughout the episode that my head hurts and i thought oh boy they're making a lot of pointing out you know that his head hurts and then in the next episode it doesn't get addressed at all and i was like okay well did i was i just reading too much into that and then in the one after that it gets brought back up again so they were doing an expert job of like building the tension towards that moment and and like you said they peppered it throughout and it's just little things it's little things like crosshair's voice coming through saying good soldiers you know like that little moment which i like i have been watching it with the subtitles on so i could you know take notes and stuff and i've started to really like watching it with the subtitles on because you get different little things like you you almost you you might miss that yeah if you didn't have the subtitles on but there's and he doesn't say the whole thing he just says good soldier like it's so and so like I think having 
being able to focus on just Wrecker, it, it made it, to me, it made it more dramatic. Because if you had the whole team that were all kind of slowly losing it, it kind of becomes overwhelming to the point that you can't be invested in it. But if you have, you've already seen Crosshair go the wrong way. Now you have Wrecker, and then you could have, and it's the dominoes start falling, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so when we get to Braca and you have Wrecker, I, I love what they did with him through the episode because Wrecker the monster comes after a, a murky water baptism with the Dianoga, right? He falls into that murky water. Everybody thinks he's dead. He pops back up, right? You know, that's a very you know, baptismal experience, but it's not in clean water. It's in murky water and, and he becomes this monster. And then you have Wrecker the free man who is born out of this light in this MRI machine that's like a womb, you know, coming out of it. And he's providing the hope for the rest of the team that, okay, his chip's pretty damaged. He already turned, you know, the chip already activated for him and we were able to get him back. So if that can happen, we could do it with Crosshair. We could do it with all of us. And um, to me, that was a really cool way to again, get you to focus on the idea they needed you to focus on without you feeling so overwhelmed that it was like, I just don't even know what to, to think about. Like, it was very direct and to the point, which I really appreciated. Well, the monster analogy is a good one because um, it made me think about the fact that we already uh, sympathize with a wrecker. We obviously, I mean, I, I personally don't really, I don't, necessarily feel a need for crosshair to be redeemed at any point but i wouldn't be surprised if he is redeemed at some point but uh, i see him as a much more untrustworthy and dangerous character than say wrecker wrecker is just he's a blunt instrument and you don't want that instrument to suddenly turn against you right and but he's so lovable that you know that when he does there's this thing happened where we sort of like we feel the threat of it, but we also feel sorry for him. And I was reminded of like Frankenstein's Frankenstein's monster. Like, mm. you know, th there's a sympathy there, but we also understand that he's not really in control. So if he, any destruction that is caused is not because it's out of malice or it's in his heart, he simply is not present. So he's not able to control that part of his, you know, his, his identity. being. Yeah. And yeah, Drew and Lindsay laughed at me at this. I go back to the Rancor. I go back to Moochie, which, yes, it was a fun, playful episode. But to me, having Moochie and Wrecker face off was very metaphorical, you know. Um, and, and you have Wrecker facing the monster that's almost a reflection of himself. They've used monsters like a lot throughout this whole thing, right? Like the Dianoga monster, um, you know, being part of Wrecker's, you know, baptism, um, dragons. Have you, have you caught on to like the dragon lizard symbolism that they've been using? Well, speaking of that, like uh, in your notes, when you mentioned it, I was like, well, I didn't really think about that. And then you mentioned the whole Kong versus yes. Godzilla. And when, when you did that, I was like, Yo, so okay. I see it now. I totally see it. Right, like, and and 
this is, you know, prob- I'm not a huge Godzilla Kong person. Like, I, I don't, don't really care much either way. But I went and saw the most recent one in the theater. And it was the first time oh. I've been to the theater in a while. So it's, it's great. It's a really good movie. It's really, really good. And just kind of the mannerisms of Moochie reminded me a lot of Kong, which made me, of course, think of, okay, well, here's the thing that he's facing. And you, if you kind of look at it, it's very similar to Godzilla. Um, and, and that was just really cool to me because again like kong is he yes he's a, uh he's kind of like hulk right where he's like this monster that could like break out and cause a lot of damage but at the end of the day he, like he always ends up with a good heart like kong is yeah. a sympathetic monster right. whereas godzilla isn't always a sympathetic monster you know and and so i think that that Knowing Filoni, knowing his, uh, you know, and, and again, he's not d- directing everything here, but he he's leading everything. Knowing his love of classic films and bringing those in, particularly the animated shows, like, I don't think that it's coincidental. Well, at first when you mentioned it, my, my gut reaction was, oh, he's reaching there. But then I started thinking about it and I thought, oh, no, maybe maybe has, there's something to it. So I went back and played the scene where the, where the dragon and the Rancor fight the music is a dead giveaway. The music mm. is totally King Kong versus Godzilla music. Totally. Yeah. That is, that is exactly what that scene is meant to be. And and it's really cool, too, because when the rest of the team arrives and they're kind of like, you know, comedically hitting each other back and forth, wearing each other out, like Omega looks at Wrecker and and Moochie and not with any anxiety, not with any like, what is happening here? Like she looks at them with value. Like she sees, like if you look in her eyes, it's very clear that she sees the value in this monster, in this rancor, right? And it's the same look when you go to uh, the the next episode where Wrecker you know, gets his ship, she looks at him in the same way. Those eyes just look, and then she touches his face as she forgives him in the same way that Han touches uh, touches Ben's face. And I, and I went back and checked, and and it's interesting. Okay, I lo- again, hand symbolism, another big thing mm-hmm. in in Star Wars. Han touches Ben's face both times or, or in rise of Skywalker with his left hand, whereas Shmi uh-huh. touches with the right hand. And I don't know if that's necessarily anything that they did intentionally, but I think it does create this parallel of Shmi touches Anakin's face with her right hand. He falls. Han brings Ben back, touches him with the left hand. You know, Omega forgives with the left hand. Han forgives with the left hand. It's just kind of an interesting, um, set there. And, and, and connection that I don't necessarily think was was intentional but it's definitely there I think well I'm I'm a little not sure about the the tying in like Shmi using what do you say a right yeah she uses uses her right right hand hand. and that somehow touching the different side of the face symbolizes that that Anakin is going to fall um only because I I think like I, I wouldn't want it to ever be tied back that somehow it was Shmi's fault or somehow Shmi was for like no, 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 foreshadowing no. it by like saying like you're you're doomed or something like I wouldn't want that to be the what people would read into that gesture. No, and and I don't think it is that way. I think it's not a consequence so much as a foreshadow, you know, of there's something different here because 
for Anakin, and, and you don't have to go too, too deep into this, but for Anakin, that leaving, that breaking of that tie is what causes his fall in the long run. Whereas the, with Ben, well, well, with Han and Ben, it's the reconnecting of that tie, right? Because Han and Ben are coming back together. Anakin and Shmi are separating. And so I think just having that diff, that subtle difference there kind of, again, I don't think it was intentional. I don't think George Lucas was like thinking this all no, the way through no. or even, I definitely don't think JJ and Terrio were thinking it through. I think it just happens to work out really well that these things kind of line up and they're not so much, again, they're not so much as like consequence as like a connection, you know? Right. Not so, causality, but correlation. So I'd like to address that because you know, all the time, like we have this tendency to read more into what's happening on the screen than what the creators had Mm -hmm. intended. And people sometimes think that if you're like, if that's not what the creator intended, that somehow you're off the mark by suggesting it. And here's the thing about art. It's messy. It's complicated. The creator can have motivations and, and a direction and the audience can have their own perception of what that means. And everybody's bringing their own view of the story to, you know, at the same time from different angles. And sometimes those views are in opposition to one another, like they cannot sync up. And other times you can have an interpretation of what the artist is doing that is maybe not what the artist intended. However, separating the artist from the art and just uh, evaluating the art itself, it could still apply. And it's still valid because once it's been put out there, um, it's no longer in the artist's hands anymore. Now, George Lucas was fighting against that for his entire career because he loved to go back and tinker with his, his, his you know, he, he's, he never believed in a finished product. He always believed right. that the, the art was always abandoned. It was never actually finished. But given that, given that you could sort of interpret things from your own lens and your own focus... It could be seen as being that those different hand gestures or the different ways that the hand was featured is a kind of symmetry that happens in Star Wars, where they're just reflections of one another. You know, light, dark, left, right. That's that's just a, a nice visual um, stutter that happens within the, the, sto- the storytelling. Right. And I mean, it's kind of like I always tell my students, like, if you can back it up with evidence, you're right. Right. And and yeah. I think there there is evidence there to justify my perspective and to justify not agreeing with my perspective. Like, I think both are, are completely uh, true and valid. Um, and, and I think that's something that you're 100 percent right. Like it gets lost. And, and I don't think the thing with George wanting to redo his art and people wanting to interpret it differently are even mutually exclusive things. Like, I think both have the right to to do that, because, like you said, like. Art is subjective, yes, but at the same time, like, you have to have, in order to have an opinion, you have to have valid evidence to back it up. That's something that gets lost, is, you know, like, if if I said, you know, uh, these monsters are, you know, we've got all these dragons and... Uh, you know, like dragons in in Christian symbolism uh, is is evil, and I ignored how in Eastern and, and especially in Asian uh, mythology, it symbolizes you know power and wisdom and strength and hidden knowledge. Mm-hmm. Like if I ignored that duality there, then I am shortcutting 
the the reality of what might be say, being said with these monsters, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and and that's something that gets really dangerous. But there's also you mentioned the music there with the the rancor and Kong, um, and, and I, God, the music in the show is so good. Yes. Have you noticed the music for Braca? Just it's so dark and eerie, and it mo- there's like this moan like you would see in a monster movie when you know the monster is coming, and I just find really fascinating. Yeah, I, a lot of times um, the music reminds me a little of Blade Runner. It has that sort mm. of synthesized kind of cold, futuristic. You know that that just very synth sounding heavy sometimes it's a drone sound like you like you mentioned and um it, it's uh that that's that's what it reminds me of is sort of that um kind yeah. of cold detached feeling of like this is this is no longer a familiar galaxy like the galaxy's different it's changed now like um not to not to glorify war but everything within the clone wars had this bombastic kind of traditional score where it's like lots of brass and you know because it's like soldiers marching off to war it's that kind of fanfare music whereas the post-war it's much grittier much more murky there's you know a much darker time has has fallen um yeah i'm i really i noticed that that the kevin kiner's music started shifting in that direction in the seventh season of the clone wars which is a Mm -hmm. really great way to transition that that idea of like the more traditional bombastic symphonic score into the more sort of cold synthetic off-putting or you know or or, you know uh, somewhat darker sounds that he's exploring in the seventh season of the clone wars especially um the scenes where maul is being taken in custody and it's just there's no dialogue that the music in that is oh it's so good so good yeah and like it that's a john williams thing as you know too it, because when you start you know you look at uh, a new hope and it's very you know fanfare operatic or uh, not operatic rather but very yeah. you know um, classic film and then as you go you get a little bit more darker you a little bit more darker you get darker tones and you also get a lot of uh i don't i'm 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 not good with music but like anxiety like everything's a lot quicker and faster and uh like more yes and then you you go to return of the jedi and you have a lot more coral and he did the same thing um in the prequel trilogy you know you start off with this jovial like ah, knights of the republic and then you get the militaristic war and then by the time you get to revenge of the sith it's very dark everything's very low tones you have a lot of opera going on Mm, and i think that that's kind of what kiner is doing here in a similar way because yeah that that eerie tone like it's not even it's not it's almost like not even music in a way it's just there yeah, it's, haunting it's more you. it's an oral landscape it's more mm-hmm. like a yeah it's it's like uh have you seen quiet place yes the kind of that music that kind of is there in the quiet moments right before those monsters are about to come it reminds me a lot of that and yeah. just like you know they're there and it's not i think something that's really powerful is when you have movies like jaws 
when you see the shark, that's not the scariest part of the movie. The scariest part of the movie is when you don't see the shark, but you know the shark is there, right? Right. And there's something to that here of there's this something out here, but we don't know what it is. And there's a cut in um, the most recent episode in Bounty Lost where they are with the Bad Batch on Bracca. You have this music. And as this music starts to pick up, you cut to Omega in her cell on Cad Bane's ship, and she's bathed in this red color, this red ambiance, which of course is is you know a warning kind of symbol. Um, I don't know if they're hinting at something there, or they're just uh, you know particularly with Omega, or if they're more so just saying like she's a part of something bigger and more sinister that she doesn't even understand. But that was a, to me, that was a really cool cut that they did to kind of emphasize that she's somehow involved in all of this. You should thank me. What their prime minister has planned for you is far worse than why I'm here. What does he want me for? You already know the answer. Yeah, we. we she's still the, the big question mark, I think. And I, you know, I'm... I'm hoping that I'm hoping that the ant like they're they're not trying to build up too much of a mystery about her because there's I, I don't know, in recent years I've become a little bit disillusioned with the whole idea of Star Wars mysteries because I'm I'm less interested in the mystery than I am in the exploration of the character. And if everything is pointing towards that there's a big reveal about a character, then it ends up being their arc and their journey tends to be about the big surprise that's awaiting rather than how they get there. Or there's a tendency sometimes, I think, to, to fall into that trap, I, I should say, uh, to be fair. Um, well, I think, you know, we're kind of hit with the sequel trilogy with that, where there were a lot of questions. I'm not bashing on the sequel trilogy, but it's just a reality. There were a lot of questions that were created, and not all of them got answered in a very clean way. So with this, I think, you know, there's kind of that apprehension, but I did see recently, um, I'm forgetting the name of the person who said, but one of the creatives that's involved in the day-to-day said, we are going to get more of Omega's backstory uh, in this season. So I'm reserving, you know, any real trepidation until we get more because I like the way that they have rolled out the, the information about her and kind of made you can they haven't lost the focus on it whereas i think with crosshair it's kind of easy to forget that crosshair is out there because you go through four episodes without seeing crosshair you're getting one mention here or whatever but with omega you're constantly getting these reminders that we don't know who she is we don't know where she belongs we don't know why these people are after her or you know looking at fennec you know like fennec was trying to capture her for the kaminoans but then she wasn't yeah, I was a little confused about that. Yeah, it, it took a rewatch, and and I need to go back and watch the original episode with with uh, Fennec and see kind of if it lines up with that. But um, there seems to be competing interests within the Kaminoans. Mm-hmm. Is that how how I'm interpreting it? I think so. Uh, you know, you have uh, Nala Say, um, who is is kind of looking out for Omega, and then you have the Prime Minister and Tanwi, who are looking at her kind of like uh you know in in mandalorian how they looked at uh you know grogu in season one and there's even a there's a parallel between um one of the conversations with the kaminoans i always get them mixed up because i can't remember who 
what each one's name is, but it, it's the prime minister, and it, I think it's, I think it's Nalase. Um, they're having a conversation that directly reflects the conversation that uh, happens in season one of Mandalorian between uh, the client and the uh, Doctor Pershing. That it's mm. like almost word for word the same conversation about get the asset, extract what you need, and then kill it. Now, in my head canon, what I was hoping for was that Fennec was working for Boba Fett. I don't think that that's out of the, out of possibility. Yet. I'm hoping not. I hope it is still a possibility. We are definitely getting Boba Fett in here. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and I just thought it was a nice way to tie in their story in the Mandalorian to like maybe this is how they this is how they met was on this mission and she was working for him secretly. Maybe she's working for the Kaminoans. But she also has, I don't know what you'd call that in Bounty Hunter speak, when you have two different clients and their interests are working against one another and you're playing the middle, you're playing them against each other. I don't know. That's, there's well, some subterfuge going on. Yeah. And, and you have a precedent almost there, you know, where Django hired Zam, you know, the Kaminoans hired <sighs> Django who hired Zam, ah. and now you could have the Kaminoans who hired Boba who hired Fennec. You know, like there, there could be that connection there of like trying to keep the keep, make it harder to trace back to them. Yeah. But um, yo, when he, when they said uh, you know, codename Alpha later referred to as Boba, I lost it because I have spent this whole season looking and trying to figure out. Okay, if there's Omega, there has to be Alpha. Like you, you just. You're well, not going to use the name Omega without having some form of Alpha. So I was like, Hunter's her Alpha. No, Wrecker's, her, Wrecker's, Wrecker's the Alpha. No, And then to get it as Boba Fett, I was just like, yo, that was that was really, to me, again, it, this could fall flat on its face, but right now with the o- possibilities it opens up, I really liked that, uh, that decision there. Well, and, and, and it ties in also to a lot of the th- themes that we've been talking about where you talk about uh things of like birth and death you know alpha and omega mean that the first and the last mm-hmm. so yeah there's again there's there's another kind of suggestive connection there between you know to that theme well there, and there's also one other mention in, of alpha in the series prior to this do you do you know what it was uh well there's the whole talk with uh moochie and being an alpha mm-hmm. and yeah Wrecker. yeah tech says uh you have to challenge the alpha for authority and i'm just gonna say i think that that might be a hint of boba fett and somehow omega is going to have to challenge boba fett in some way could be really interesting i don't know yeah uh, yeah that's there's you know if it's all leading towards a a, a, rev- a reveal about Boba Fett and where he is and how he fits into this story. If that's the big surprise, I think I'd be pretty satisfied with that. Well, and and they also go after you know the droid head because it's got all of this knowledge and information. Like, who's going to have the most knowledge and information about the Kaminoans and how the Kaminoans work? Is like, he though? Is he he grew up there for like the first yeah, ten or but... eleven years of his life. Uh, yeah, but just because I like say I grew up in a certain, I don't know. I I just I, I wouldn't know everything about my neighborhood just because I grew up there. I might know some things about it, but it seems like that's that that's a little bit of a stretch to, to suggest that Boba Fett is the go-to expert for cloning just because he was a kid when 
when he was I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. So is Omega. Omega is she seems to know a lot well, about the cloning process. That's what I'm wondering too. Is like why does Omega know all of this stuff? Like she knows a lot, and it's like okay. It, if you're, you know, there's this idea of property that keeps coming up and, and slavery and stuff. And, and I think at some point you have to have these characters, you know, these clones realize that they were droids. They were property, uh, you know, and that that's something that they're going to have to deal with. But Omega knows all of this stuff. She knows she, air quotes, doesn't have an inhibitor chip. I definitely think she does. She knows about all these different processes, about how they created the clones and everything like that, but she knows nothing about herself. It's just now, it's interesting okay, to me. Let's go back to that because that's where I get a little confused. So Omega knew that she didn't have an inhibitor chip. The clones themselves were just largely ignorant of the inhibitor chip in general, like or what its yeah. true function was until relatively late in the Clone Wars series. So how is it Omega knows? Well, I guess I guess they would have known that they did know that they had that. What did they call it originally? Like, what did the Kaminoans say its purpose was? It was a. It was something. They were telling the Jedi some, that some it was kind of behavior for, modification. Yeah, it was some. It was meant to do something, but that it could be used. Like they didn't know it was going to be used for the purpose that it ended up being used for. Right. So maybe, maybe she knew that that was in clones and that she didn't have one. Okay. Yeah, and and it didn't become general knowledge. Uh, I don't know if it you know, really became general knowledge, but for lack of a better term. Um, until that, that series with fives and figuring out everything. And uh, I'm trying to remember who the clone that turned and killed the two, the two Jedi sisters. Um, I think then it kind of started to leak out, and that's when people started to find out about it. And then, of course, uh, you know, fives told Rex, who told Ahsoka, who, you know, and so on and so forth as we get in Siege of Mandalore. But I always, I always look at, you know, <laughs> only the Sith deal in absolutes, right? Anytime a character says... This is absolutely not going to happen. There's no way that this could possibly happen. It's definitely going to happen. And she's saying, there's no way I have an inhibitor chip. Well, here's, here's well, I don't know if this really ties into genetics, though, because it is stated that she is, she has unaltered DNA. She's and, not modified, but yet I don't think you would necessarily call the inhibitor chip to be a modification of one's DNA. It's just something that they add into the brain. And that's something that's interesting to me, too, because she's pure DNA, but she's also female. Right. That that I saw an interesting thread earlier where there was speculation where people were wondering, is she trans then? If she's if she was a pure clone copy of Django and she's female, is she is she technically trans? And. I can see where that would be the the conclusion that would that would be seem apparent, but I don't know enough about genetics to know if the manipulation of the chromosomes would qualify as gene manipulation. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, no, the I chromosomes do. are not necessarily part of DNA; they're just something that could be like a switch that could be turned. Because they do refer to Boba as the male clone. So it does imply that you can technically have clones of, of different genders. Well, here's, here's what kind of you know, brings this question to my mind. I was listening to uh, a podcast, um, School Greatness podcast, and Lewis Howes had a geneticist on who was doing research into 
um, Alzheimer's and stuff. And she was talking about, uh, you know, the, the genetic differences between males and, and females. And females have a thousand more genes than males do. Huh. Which is part of why their brains develop quicker and things like that. Um, and so I just. Well, there's a whole host of reasons why that well, would be necessary yeah, from an yeah. evol- evolutionary standpoint. You need, you know, a, a woman will bear children. So, you know, there's, there's a whole series of reasons why there would be genes involved with needing to mature faster or intellectually mature faster than, say, a male who's you know, whose job it is to just not let's, be that let, important. <laughs> let's be honest. Most men need to be older before they start having kids. Cause we stupid. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, it, it's just interesting to me because you're hundred percent right. Like it's, it's an evolutionary necessity for, for that to happen. You know, like you look at, and I'm speaking in huge generalities here, but you know, women, a 25-year-old mother doesn't scare you as much as a 25-year-old father does. You're like, you go, oh, you were 25 when you had your baby? Okay, cool. You were 25 when you had your baby? Mm, dude, like, you were still stupid. Like, <laughs> honestly. And so I just kind of wonder, like, from an evolutionary standpoint, it makes sense to have the female have more genes. And so with it being alpha omega, like, is this an evolutionary development of some way? Does that tie in somehow? Um, because, I mean, again, it's a, a animated show, so I'm pretty sure they weren't, like, overthinking the whole, like, well, how's the DNA actually work in, in science? But this is what we do, guys. We overthink this stuff, okay? <laughs> I spent a lot of hours on this show. And so I'm just really... I wonder if they will approach that idea because there was the idea of ray being a clone that i just kind of always laughed off because i was like no ray's can't be a palpatine clone because she is she is a woman he was a man clones are exact copies right but i also thought it was really dumb when everybody you know was saying like oh you know in force awakens her anger and the way she fights with her lightsaber is very similar to palpatine and i was like that's stupid yeah well we see how that turned out. <laughs> so, like, I don't know. I just, I think that that's something that uh, is something to keep an eye on of, like, okay, are they actually going to approach this idea? Whether it is some kind of, of genetic mip- manipulation, some kind of new inhibitor chip, something to do. Unfortunately, I don't think that they'll, like, come out and straight up do, like, a trans character arc or anything like that. But is it I don't something think they're that, that brave. Yeah, no. Um let's let's you know call a spade a spade but if it is something again going back to our conversation earlier about how you know the art is interpretive and if you have the evidence to back it up then it's you know a valid point of view like is it i would be really interested to see if this is something that we could come back later and look at and go like okay like that makes sense as a metaphor for you know transgender and make it adds a that adds a layer of depth to Omega's character um, because like even going back <laughs> so again I'm obsessed with birth and death symbolism young children this is where you need to turn off the podcast because um, I'm about to talk about some phallic <laughs> symbolism <laughs> oh we're getting to that part are we <laughs> we're getting to that part <laughs> dude like okay so bounty lost okay here's where I think you're reaching but I'll let you go ahead I, I, I'll let you Express your thoughts, but I just want to put a disclaimer out there That's that fair. I think you you might be 
leaning a bit hard into it in this part in this point but we'll see we'll see all right so in bounty lost there is they have to create a power surge and in order to create this power surge (laughs) oh i love this um a satellite erects itself out of the planet (laughs) or out of the building or whatever um and then you know, it's it's very fa- it's it's phallic, okay, guys. It's phallic. Let's just look, be, let's call it look, what it is. But then, I, I po- didn't I didn't see it that way until you mentioned it, and now I can't see anything else. <laughs> I blame Michelle for this because she got me on like this whole like the you know uh, the uh, well man, what's Mando's ship called? Oh my god, I'm forgetting Razor Crest. The Razor Crest is a uterus and all of this. Oh stuff. yeah, I saw that post too, and I. <sighs> I, I kind of see it that way too now. I can't unsee this stuff. I know. So you have this phallic satellite, right, that sends the signal, and then Omega <laughs> escapes in this flight pod. Okay, cool. No big deal, except for it's a ball, but it also has a, tra- a tail behind it. Guys, it's a sperm. And, she's, and, then, and then, hold on, I'm not done yet. And then <laughs> Omega comes out of a hole and back to her family. That's it. This has been the Clashing Sabers podcast. Leave your five-star rating at Brandon, the Drew Brandon, Grant. don't take this the wrong way, but I hope you're not teaching your students human no. sexuality. <laughs> <laughs> no. Because I'm pretty sure it doesn't work that way. <laughs> it's symbolism. It's different. But... Um, I actually, that was another one where I had to go back and rewatch the scene because I was like, is the... Is the ship like really sperm shaped? And then I was like, "Well, it has a tail." But well, it here's the thing: wiggle. Like, and- <laughs> I watch this stuff at three o'clock in the morning on my first cup of coffee. So, like, there's yeah, there's your problem. So, so like when I come up with stuff like this, I will go back and check and be like, "Was I just like still asleep when I saw this?" <laughs> no, I went back and watched it last night, and it holds up. I think given your criteria for if you can if you can argue it, if you're <laughs> successful enough in arguing it, then it must be true. I have to admit, you're doing a fairly good job of arguing it. I just don't know that I can... That's a bridge too far for me. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. I, I tend to do that. Go listen to um, my Last Jedi commentary over on Patreon <laughs> for more on me trying to explain how human sexuality works. Because, again, men are stupid. Um, so we, we've kind of talked, you know, big strokes about everything. Was there anything else you wanted to touch on that we hadn't? I mean, again, we could do a six hour podcast on these because, you know, I haven't even gotten into the duality of, you know, uh, tech and, and Omega being logos and pathos and different things like that. Like it's, it's so deep. Well, at the risk of making the podcast 30 minutes longer, I did want to go back and talk about something that you mentioned earlier about how, um, crosshair is injured by the engine and so he's sort of like he's now sort of has he sort of bears scars he's dengar you mean yeah he really does look like dengar doesn't it but it brought up to me it reminded me of the whole thing in star wars of how uh and it happens not only with villains but sometimes with sympathetic heroes or anti-heroes or however you want to see some of these characters where their humanity gets stripped away from them a little by little because of their like what they're obsessing on and it's like crosshairs obsession for finding his former teammates and eliminating them 
becomes this thing that just slowly is stripping his humanity away. You know, we saw it in Anakin. Anakin lost his humanity. He became part machine. Um, you can go back to... Um, uh, God bless. I cannot believe I'm blanking on his name. General, General Grievous. You can go back to General Grievous mm-hmm. and see how he was removing bits of himself and sort of modifying himself to become more perfect and was becoming less and less what he used to be and was more machine. Um, more I think machine that might, now than man. Yeah, that, that's, to me, that's what's being explored with uh, Crosshair. And you see it also with Saw Gerrera. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I... I I definitely think you're on on to something there. I think it's interesting that you know bringing up this idea of of more machine. Um, you had that in the first episode with with Echo, you know, um, where Tech says, oh, "You're more a machine now than man," and it's like, "Oh, that's a cool like little reference back." But at the same time, like you have Crosshair who is becoming a machine and a cog in the empire. Like it's not a coincidence that the Imperial symbol is a cog. Like it literally is just a machine that will spit you out. And you know, you go from him having this very distinctive look with marks on his helmets and everything like that to he's just another dark trooper or whatever. These are, you know, going to end up being, um, he's just another cog in the machine. It's, it's interesting. Where I think echo is different though. than the other examples I provided is that Echo's transformation was completely out of his control. Like it was not his, nothing he did really truly led up to him being turned into part machine or to part cyborg. Um, That was just something that was completely done to him. His agency was removed and he was turned into literally a machine. Right. But Um, how much of Crosshair's agency still exists? Like well, that's right. a big question. So right. I don't think it's that you know I I don't think that parallels too far off. Well, no, but then it still goes back to, you know, I still go back to my earlier point where Crosshair was perhaps more aligned with what the Empire would want to do than his than his teammates because he sees the mission and serving the mission as being his ultimate reason for living. So yeah, that's fair. You know. Speaking of mission and, and reason, reason for living, uh, let's talk about Cad Bane real quick. Oh, we can't leave out Cad Bane. I mean, we, like we, we, <laughs> that's how much stuff is in these episodes, guys. We haven't even talked about Cad Bane. Um, I mean, I, I'm assuming the second you heard the voice in the Western kind of music, you knew what was up. Cause I, was I like, lost it. I lost it. I flipped out. I was so fist pumping. I'm such a big Cad Bane fan. And like, here's the thing. This doesn't feel like, okay, this doesn't feel like it's just like a cameo situation where they're just bringing in, you know, these people because they can bring them in, right? Like, have you seen The Expendables? No. Okay. It's campy 80s action, but with like, you know, 20 or, uh, you know, 21st century technology and everything like that. But they just keep on bringing in people. It's like, wait, hold on, Kelsey Grammer? Why is Kelsey Grammer here? He was never an action star. He was Frasier. But you just get, like, you know, Harrison Ford does a, you know, drive-by, and then there's Arnold in a helicopter, and it's like, okay. that spot the celebrity. Exactly. That movie... It it kind of was all about the cameos. You didn't go for the. You don't watch the Expendables for the story. You go to watch things blow up and go like, oh cool, I didn't know they were in this. Oh Ronda Rousey, sure, why not? Whereas like in Star Wars, you're watching it for the story, and so I think you have to be careful with the cameos because it can become 
too much and it can overtake things. You know, Filoni talked about it with bringing Vader into Rebels of where he couldn't overshadow everything. And so you had to be careful about when you brought him in and how much you brought him in and stuff like that. And I think the use of Cad Bane unto this point, and, and I think you could include Fennec in this because technically, you know, she started in another series, but Cad Bane's a p- much bigger character um, in terms of, you know, content that we have around him. Bringing him in, it has worked perfectly. It's the execution. Like, I tr- I'm trying to find flaws, and I just I can't find them. Like, well, it's so you, well done. You know that he's, he's important because um, unless I'm mistaken regarding his the music, I don't think he's gotten... Did he have a full-blown theme song or motif in the Clone Wars series? I don't know if he did or not. I don't think so. Because his his I, I had an opportunity to listen to the entire track on iTunes mm-hmm. of of uh, you know Kiner's uh, Cad Bane theme song, and it is so man, it's so the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's yes. so Clint Eastwood. It's it's uh, Ennio Morricone, I think, is the name of that composer who did those movies. It's very much in that in that style. And going back to what I had said earlier about like the throwback to like the, the the music is like the new music is sort of Blade Runner-ish versus the the era of the Clone Wars being more bombastic and more traditional symphonic. Um, in some ways, his theme song kind of plays against that as well. His theme song is sort of like a throwback to uh, those, you know, movie, the spaghetti Western movies. So it's like it, he feels like a character from the past. He's sort of meant to be a character from the past who's stepping into this current show and and has a presence and has being announced by a, a motif. So I, I think he's, I think he's, uh, here's my, here's my, here's my wish for where I don't want it to go. I hope the fact that we have heard the name Boba Fett and Cad Bane is in this as well, that this is not the series where we see that scene play out. Do you know oh, what we're scene I'm talking about? Oh, I don't want that to happen in this series. Well, here's the thing. So, Shout out to Unknown Regions. Michelle pointed this out that like the if you look at the the animation um, that's been released of that, you know the the rough animation that they had yeah. already of the Cad Bane Boba Fett face off, that it's basically the same thing as the Cad Bane Hunter standoff. Like it's very similar um, yeah. in how it's executed to where they you know she, as she says she, they kind of lifted it from one to put it in the other. So. On your side of I don't want to see it, I would say, well, it's already happened. But on the other side, in the side that I lean towards, I'm like, that was kind of a setup. You know, you, you've got the in the original trilogy to me, like Boba Fett is that Western character. And, you know, so it kind of makes sense that there would be this transition, especially if you have. You know, you have Cad Bane facing off with with Hunter and winning, and then Cad Bane facing off with Boba Fett. And sorry, guys, don't say it. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't say anything. All I did was say I'm sorry. You can read into that whatever you would like. What I would like for this to, I, I would hope that the series is setting up a, an ongoing conflict between the two of them that will that will carry further into maybe the Boba Fett series, where we'll get a flashback. To some of their interactions, I'll I just say that I would be cool with that. I, de- uh, I think it was Tamara Morrison said you're we're going to get more of what he he says what's happened with Boba Fett, like something 
prior to the timeline of the series and t- the well, that's of the, the Sarlacc. That's got to be the Sarlacc. Yeah, but I, I mean, there also could be other things. Like it might not just be one thing. We may right. get a parallel storyline of a younger, but like, how cool would it be? Okay, now I'm just spitballing here. How cool would it be if we had the Tamara Morrison Boba Fett as one plot line and the flashback Daniel Logan Boba Fett as the other? Like, mm. that'd be pretty cool. So I, yeah. I don't think anything's out of the realm of possibility, especially with how much they're leaning into the, oh, people really like Boba Fett thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, man. Dude, I'm so ready for Friday. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's just so much that I, I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I was one of those, like, I'm definitely going to like this because it's Star Wars animation. And, you know, it's my jam. And there's a lot of interesting things that could be happening right now. And, and we haven't really gotten a lot around the minutes after the weeks after, um, you know, the turn to the empire and how that affected things and stuff like that. So I was like, this is going to be a pretty cool series, dude. This series has blown my mind. Yeah. It's exceeded my expectations. For oh, sure. it's so good. It's so, so good. And I, I think, between the Mandalorian and this and the things that are coming out that we have on the horizon that I see nothing but promise for with Kenobi, with uh, Rogue Squadron um, being led by Patty Jenkins. Even, even you know, that the news came out about the Acolyte. Have you seen this? About how the writers mm-hmm. have never seen Star Wars. I think that's mm-hmm. a, you know, I think that's cool. Well, I said this on Twitter. I think when you've got this many series in the, in the pipeline... I would hope that at least some of those are thinking outside of the box. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that falls into the category of thinking outside of the box so that you don't have this stale formulaic thing over and over and over again. Uh, it, you know, something produced by fans is great if it can be rewarding in all the great fan servicey ways that are good, but it can also be very stale because sometimes one fan's idea of what would be cool in Star Wars is not necessarily what somebody else's idea of cool is well like i i totally feel that right now because i think going back to when disney first acquired them i thought i feel like they were kind of like let's not even have a box there's no box just make things which is like okay it's fine sometimes but you kind of have to know the parameters of what your thing is in order to Mm -hmm. um you know be able to either reproduce those things those parallels that star wars is so well known for or like you said think outside of the box but you also you always bring up this idea of star wars not becoming too self-referential and uh drew stop listening to the podcast right now if you haven't gone and seen fast nine because i want a pure untampered reaction to that movie five four three two you better be gone one oh my god God, that movie references itself so many times. And it is so, like, it's so cookie-cutter obnoxious. And guys, I love the Fast and Furious movies. Like, they would be my Star Wars if there wasn't Star Wars. I'm sitting there going, this is literally what Mark's talking about, where all it does is reference back to itself and recreate its history to reproduce yeah. a movie that's more obnoxious than what, what the one that was before. So, like, I, I feel like I get so what you're saying like a- right now. It's like a greatest hits thing where it's just kind no, of no, no, no. hits or no no it's a greatest hits where like they put a couple of the songs on the greatest hits album and use that as a way to sell all the new singles that they're going to be putting out over the next couple years you know those ones where it's like yeah. with five new songs yeah it's let's put it this way 
me and two friends I went with are just looking back and forth at each other, just completely losing our mind laughing, like to the point where we couldn't even <laughs> stop. I'm like, I don't even, I'm, I, I'm never coming back to this theater again because I am just making all kinds, uh, it was. Well, I'll be interested to hear what Adriana's thoughts are because, you know, she's a huge fan <sighs> of Fast and Furious. I know. Oh, it was my Rise of Skywalker. Let's just say oh, that. Yeah. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah, I, I will probably never watch that movie again until drew and i do the uh the commentary series that we keep well, threatening everybody with the only three i've seen i've seen the first three and that's the only three fast and furious movies that i've ever seen so i i'm i but see i don't know if you heard this but the in the imax showings they're showing an extended clip from jurassic world dominion from mm-hmm. from the new movie and it's supposed to be this like 10 minute long segment well and you can only see it if you go to the IMAX showing of Fast and Furious in the theater. And so I have been giving some thought to going and buying a ticket, primarily to see the Jurassic World Dominion trailer, but then also to sit through this movie with no knowledge of any of the others except for the first three and just see how I I process it. Like, I wonder if I would be a different perspective because I'm not recognizing all the callbacks. I don't know. The level of, the level of over the topness is like somebody <laughs> gave Vin Diesel too much control. They were like, sure, Vin, yeah, we can do that. Yeah, sure. This is not, it's not ridiculous to have him. I'm not going to say anything. Stay tuned. <laughs> Go to our Patreon guys. I promise you we are going to do this series. Like, it's funny, having seen this movie now makes me want to do the commentary series more than I did before, because <laughs> I just want to talk to Drew about this and Adriana about this. Like, oh my God, it would be great. But until then, we're going to keep talking about Star Wars and we're going to keep talking about The Bad Batch. And uh, of course, you can get all of our episodes uh, right here in the same feed, free of charge. You can get Sith Talk, uh, Starships, Mark Show Forever Star Wars, Don't Burn the Sacred Text, and of course, the show that you're listening to now. Um, and we also have commentaries and things over on our Patreon to support our literacy nonprofit to get Star Wars books into schools across the country. And um, so as little as a dollar, you know, can, can help a kid get a, get a Star Wars book in his hand. And I think most people who listen to our shows uh, have read or read the Star Wars books and know that the impact that that can have. So if you want to stay tuned with all our socials and everything that we're doing, all the links are in there for each of us individually and for the site as a whole, uh, at Clashing Savers on Twitter, all of that good jazz. So Mark, I know you are, are like me right now. You're in a time of transition where deadlines and things are, are kind of imaginary, but uh, what are you working on right now um, for the network? I have uh, actually two that I'm working on. Um, I have uh, one, actually, this is not, I've never done this before. I'm actually trying to write them both at the same time. Interesting. (laughs) Because because I want to, you know, because of my mood, I'm not sure what my situation is going to be once I get to Florida. I don't know what my setup will be like. Um, I want to get two, possibly three episodes in the can before we actually move to Florida. Um, so I'm kind of eyeing a maybe somewhat shorter format, maybe 20 minutes, 25 minute long episodes, but have them be much more tightly focused on one subject. So that's what I'm currently working on. Nice. And those will uh, be coming out soon. I like I like that I don't know what they're about. It's always really exciting for me when a new Forever Star Wars comes out because I'm like, oh, interesting. Okay. He's yeah, going I'll, into I'll, this. Or... I'll leave it a secret then yeah, if, if yeah. you want to be surprised. You got to stay tuned, guys. Stay tuned for more. But until then... Bad Batch 8. Hi-oh. There you go. See, this is why I like having you on. You get it right. Did you get that? Oh, Drew's not listening anymore.
<laughs> don't don't pit us against each other. <laughs> Lindsay, will you text Drew and tell him that that's how we're supposed to do it? <laughs> I'm teacher's pet. <laughs> Brown noser. You're the uh, you're the tech of the group. You always got the answer. Oh no. The podcast you just listened to and all other Clashing Sabers productions are the intellectual property of ClashingSabers.net. All sounds and materials used from other creators is their stuff, and we just use different information on educational purposes. Bottom line, we made it, it's ours, they made it, it's theirs. Seems simple, but if you're still confused, feel free to email us at ClashingSabersNetwork at gmail.com. We have no association with Lucasfilm, Disney, or any of the other fine companies that make all this stuff we talk about. But, Kathleen Kennedy, if you need anything, let me know. I work for cheap. Now let's blow this thing and get out of here.